in all the Bible reading that you have done throughout your Christian life, in all of the word meditation that you have done, have you ever looked in on Jesus' relationship with the Father and been envious? I don't mean that you would try to weasel your way into the Trinity itself and boot Jesus out, but I simply mean that, well, we have all been, I think, at one point in our lives, probably, definitely in junior high, we have looked in on somebody else's relationship and been envious of that relationship, maybe wanted in ourselves, and of course that's the whole influence of peer pressure that we talk about with youth, and that continues with adults, we know. So at, at some point in your life, I know that you have looked in on relationships or listened in on friendships or whatever and been envious, perhaps even to the point of wanting in. So in all of your Bible reading that you have done, have you ever listened in on Jesus' communion with the Father and been envious Have you ever looked in on that mutual love and delight between the Father and the Son and wanted in? If you've never had that Jesus envy, maybe what I'm about to share with you will stir it up. But as I've worked my way through the Scriptures, especially, of course, this Gospel of John that I I often reference, of course, I know that's not where, where we are concentrating today, But as I've gone through the Gospel of John and seen this relationship being worked out and being described by Jesus, how he just overflows with affection as he speaks of his Father, that has stopped me in my tracks. I don't know how many times because there's nothing like this under the sun. The perfect peace in that fellowship of the triune God. The pure joy that the members of the Trinity have in one another, each one wholly committed to the glory of the others, each person serving the purpose of the counsel of the will that they share to the pleasure of the others. The Father, in a sense, is conducting this great symphony. It is Jesus who is performing it, and the Spirit who is carrying out the sound of it wherever He wills. They just They work in perfect symmetry together. It's a beautiful fellowship. And so that's one reason why I love John's gospel, because whenever you, I'm actually working my way through John's gospel uh, for my devotions, one of four readings that I'm doing, and recording as I go all the places where Jesus explicitly speaks of his fellowship with the Father, which if you're not aware, is just is so unique to John's gospel. And even as I've known that Jesus talks about it a lot, it is amazing to me how often he talks about that relationship that he shares so intimately with his Father. Just It's in every chapter in John's gospel. And so I, I, I watch this fellowship <clears throat> unfold between the Father and the Son, and I, I want in. I feel this this kind of envy toward Jesus. Not that I would, you know, boot him out, but I, I want in the circle of that fellowship with God. Just the way that Christ talks about the overflow of his affection. 
Now, the way that John describes this triune fellowship is with one little word consistently. The word in the original language that John wrote in is meno. It's a simple word. It has a lot of uses. It means to reside. It means to dwell. It means to remain. And so it could be used to talk about someone staying in a specific place. They meno, they abide. But as it's used for the triune relationship, this specific little word is a loaded word. John the Baptist is at the waters of Jordan. He's baptizing and he's preparing the coming of Jesus. He says in John chapter 1, verses 32 and following, he says, For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. He means he did not know him as the Savior, as the Messiah. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And the word for the Spirit remaining on the Son is meno. Translated remain, but also we know translated abide. Now, up to this time in redemptive history, the Holy Spirit has interacted with individuals in a very temporary way. The Spirit has come upon Samson and Saul and David and and so on for unique moments of time. Temporarily coming upon these individuals and anointing them so that they will faithfully carry out the service that God has commanded them to perform. But this is different. The Spirit comes upon the Son and remains. And this is the signal to John the Baptist who is preparing his way, preparing Israel for him. This is the signal that this is no ordinary individual. This is not just another person that John the Baptist happens to be baptizing in the Jordan River. This one on whom the Spirit remains is the Son of God. It's the one in whom the Spirit abides. Again, just a little word used to capture the triune relationship. So throughout the Gospel of John, as I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus is often speaking of His unique relationship to the Father. And one little word that the Son uses consistently to describe this relationship is that little word, meno. In chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus says that God is the Father who abides in Him or dwells in Him. One chapter later, chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says He too abides in the Father. So, whether you're talking about the Spirit with the Son or the Son with the Father, the same word is being consistently used to describe the triune relationship which is unique from all others. It's abiding that is the proximity and the the permanence and the purity of the love relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have shared from all eternity. 
And when Jesus talks this way about His relationship with God, you just have to stop and you have to realize that this is unique in human history. And it's not that no one before Him has ever dared to talk this way, that He abides in the Father and the Father in Him. It's not that no one has dared to talk that way. It's that nobody has even thought to talk like this before. So when John then, by the Holy Spirit, writes his letter to the churches, he boldly testifies that he and the other apostles have seen Jesus. They, they, he said in the beginning verses of this letter, he said, we, we, uh, heard him who was from the beginning. We saw him, we looked upon him, and we touched him with our hands, and now myself and the other apostles are proclaiming the one who was from the beginning to you, the eternal life who was manifested from the Father, so that you too could have relationship with God. But it's John's word choice that is so Stunning. That is just off the charts incredible. Because John uses the same word over and over again to describe your relationship with God. That was used over and over again to describe Jesus' relationship with God. Menno. Abiding. God sent His Son so that by the Spirit of His Son He would abide in you and you in Him. I don't know about you, but John has just exploded all of my preconceived notions about what kind of relationship we could have with God because my, my natural instinct is, you know, God's here. He's infinite above. And I'm way down here. I'm a wretch of a sinner. The very best efforts that I put out, the Bible says, are filthy rags. I'm guilty before Him. So I'm just assuming naturally that that fellowship of the Trinity is a closed fellowship. And John's exploding that as he says that Jesus abides in the Father, and the Spirit abides in the Son, and God abides in you, and you in Him. And I'm not saying that then that means we become gods, and I'm not saying that uh, this fellowship of the Trinity is not unique, because it is. I don't want to go too far, but listen, the way that John deliberately constructs the fourth book of the New Testament... And the, the 23rd book of the New Testament, by using the same words to describe Jesus' relationship with God and my relationship with God, that tells you, I don't even know how to, to put it into words, that there is something off the charts awesome of grace by the power of of the love of God that has been achieved for us that should leave us worshiping and pursuing it, this relationship, and valuing it and being changed by it. So again, 
I look at John's gospel and I just see this relationship be talked about and unfold and you know, it's just the natural human way to, to kind of be envious of that. To say, I wish I could have that. That intimacy, that communion with God. He doesn't just walk with the Father. He walks in the Father. He delights in the Father and the Father delights in the Son. I want in. And it's like God has said, you want in? Yeah, I kind of want in. Okay. Okay? What do you mean, okay? I can be in? That's the word of the Lord. That's why the Father sent the Son, to draw near to us. And it's why He sent the Spirit, to draw us in. 1 John 4, verse 13. By this we know, that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. We know that we abide in God, verse 13, and God abides in us because He has given us of His Spirit. On the night of His arrest, Jesus comforted his followers with the truth that he would not leave them alone. When he returned to the, to the Father, that would actually be, believe it or not, to their advantage because he would send the Holy Spirit to them. And the Holy Spirit would be with them. And uniquely in all of history, the Holy Spirit would forever be in them and in all the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we know from other places in scriptures that the Spirit is the first installment of our inheritance from God. The down payment, the guarantee that there is a a future glory for us. But what an installment. I mean, this is no cheap little gift, little trinket. This isn't just something to tide us over by the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, fellowship with God has been brought to us. Abiding in God and God abiding in us has been given to us by this gift of the Spirit. Now, when the Spirit comes, where the Spirit is, there are going to be effects. The Spirit is not going to come without effect. There is going to be evidence. So let's, in our minds, before we read any further, ask of John, okay, how can I know? What is the evidence? I I need exhibit A and exhibit B to know that the Spirit of God abides in me and I in God. So John answers, what are the effects of the Spirit's presence? Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Those are not two verses that are disconnected. 
That's not one random thought and then another random thought. These two verses go together. The Spirit of God has been given to us and the effect is that we have seen Jesus and testify that He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let's give an example of this. Going back to the book of Acts, chapter 4. After the risen Jesus had ascended to the Father and poured out the Spirit, the disciples began to witness and the immediate consequence of that on the world's part, was persecution. And after the first couple of incidences, Peter and John went back to the church after they'd been rebuked and they'd been threatened by the leaders in Jerusalem. And together, they got down on their knees before God and prayed. And this is what they said. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So their prayer, to sum it up, was, Lord, give us boldness to speak on behalf of your Son." Despite the persecution, give us boldness to be faithful witnesses to your Son. And the response was that God in heaven filled them with His Holy Spirit. The effect of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives is that we will testify. It's the same for all. In verse 14, of course, John is referring to himself and the apostles when he says we We have seen and testify that God has sent His Son, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's talking about Himself and the apostles, but it's not just that original band of brothers who experienced the effects of the Spirit that way. Because He says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Here's the truth. All those in whom God abides by His Spirit will testify to the Son. Everyone who has the Spirit will confess the Son. What does the Spirit give first of all? The Spirit gives faith. That's exhibit A. How do you know that the Spirit is within you? that you, in fact, abide in God and God in you. Exhibit A is that you have faith and that you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You and I would never believe without the Holy Spirit. Faith in Jesus is impossible without the work of God's Spirit. Paul wrote this. He said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, he said, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says... Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And of course, this confession, this testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that He is Lord, is not just lip service. It's not just an intellectual, yeah, I believe that. It's, I have received Him myself. It is the heart cry of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is Lord, that He is the Savior of the world. It's the Spirit who gives that. He gives that faith. Jesus said in John 6, 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. We know that apart from the Holy Spirit of God, a veil lies over our hearts to keep us from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a veil. We're blinded by the God of this age. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to behold the glory of God. The blindness that the God of this age, small g God, has inflicted upon us is removed by the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just love that. Piling up phrase after phrase until you're just blown away. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to behold Jesus. The first gift of the Spirit, the first evidence that He is within us is that we have faith in God's Son and confess Him. In the secret places and in the public square, before the church, in the waters of baptism, before friends who are happy with our confession, before the world who would persecute us even to death. By the Spirit of God, we confess Jesus. It's only by the Spirit that we can see Jesus and say, Glory. This is what I was made for. Here is my hope. Here is my life. Here is my righteousness and my peace with God. Here is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and mine. So do you believe in Jesus? And do you confess Him? Then what was said of Jesus, which distinguished Him from everybody who had come before Him, is now being said of you, that God abides in you, and you in God. Verse 16, now, so by the Spirit, by the Spirit is really implied there, we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. I don't know how many different versions of the Bible are out there, translations, but I hope whatever version you're using has that conjunction, so, or and at the beginning of verse 16, so you can continue to see the connections in this passage, this paragraph. Because not only does the Spirit give us faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but He is the one that gives us faith to realize the love that God has for us in His Son. Jesus is the Son Eternally blessed. He is God's King at His right hand. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the image of the invisible God. We see Him constantly in His life, not only walking with God, but in Him, abiding in Him, united to Him in pure communion. 
We hear the thunderous declarations from heaven. This is my beloved Son. We hear Jesus cry back out to the Father. Father, glorify your name. We see God in his Son and the Son in his Father. And I think, what must that be like to be in such perfect, pure, intimate, joyful, delightful communion with God? What I would not give to have that. But the Bible does not require us to give to have that. Jesus gave it all. The Father gave His Son a cross so that we could have this. And Jesus took that cross up on His back. He gave His face to those who strike. He gave His back to the whips. He gave His hands and His feet to the nails. He gave His body up to crucifixion. He gave His life for ours so that not only would we say what I would not give to have that, but so that we could realize Jesus gave up everything for us to have it and we would enter in it by faith and realize the love of God. As John says, so by the Spirit, by the Spirit revealing to us what God has given, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The Bible says that God is most high. It is a description that defies all of our grasp, but it says He inhabits eternity in the book of Isaiah. Also that He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It says about our God that He cannot be contained by temples. But He gave up His Son in whom He eternally abides so that He would abide in you and you would abide in God. I don't know what your struggles are this morning besides the one to stay awake, but I mean the spiritual struggles of your heart what loneliness you might feel, what dejection or rejection, what self-pity, fear, just what, what your personal angst might be today. But hear the word of the Lord. The God who forever is, the only God who is, is in you. By the Holy Spirit, we know God's love for us. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we would never believe in this love. But this is what Eddie read earlier in Romans 5, verses 5 to 8. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we know, we're aware of the, of God's love by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it's not some ethereal, mystical, whimsical winds that we feel in our hearts. We're just carried off with this mystical breeze. I can feel the love of God. It's not just some kind of, kind of sudden jolt whenever we doubt the love of God. No, He loves you. Are you sure? Yes, He loves you, you know. Okay, I believe. And we train ourselves. He trains us like dogs to believe in the love of God every time we doubt there's a zap. No. 
The Spirit of... This is it. Okay? We are aware of God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit because this is what the Spirit reminds you of constantly. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is the Spirit's word to you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. The Spirit says, do you think about it? Who would you die for? Would you die for your child? Perhaps. Would you die? Would you lay your life down for a good person? Maybe if you're especially heroic and you have a great love for humanity in your heart. You might die. He says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. This is the Spirit's word. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But this is, this is what the Spirit says. He says, Listen, but God shows his love for us. He shows his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Who here, a sinner, would die for their enemy? The Spirit is witnessing within our hearts that God, most high, most holy, died for us. His enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of the love of God for you. Church family, you don't have to go to the latest, greatest blessing in your life to determine if God loves you or not. You don't have to calculate God's love by what material prosperity or goodness you are experiencing in the temporal blessings. That's not the sign of God's love. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the permanent sign of God's eternal love for you. You would never believe in that love apart from the Holy Spirit in you. It's by the Holy Spirit that we believe in this love. And I could go to other passages as well, but I just I don't have the time right now. But look up Ephesians 3, read verses 14 down through the end of the chapter. And Paul prays that by the Holy Spirit, we will be strengthened in the inner man to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. It's by the Spirit that knowledge and faith of God's love for us comes. In verse 16, at the end of this verse, it says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we would never see, we would never testify that Jesus is the Son of God or believe in his love apart from the Holy Spirit. And by this faith that he gives us, we also Love God's people. The Spirit turns our faith to love. So is the Spirit of God in you, filling you personally? You will confess Jesus. You will confess God's Son. And, exhibit B, here it is, you will love God's people. Here are the two evidences that the Spirit of God is within you. You have faith in God's Son, and you love God's people. Are we a church filled with the Holy Spirit of God? We will have faith in God's Son and we will love God's people. Are we a church filled with the Holy Spirit? We will hold fast to God's truth and we will hold fast to one another in love. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with self-pity at the same time. With self-love. The Holy Spirit 
bears witness to the overflow of God's love in Jesus and turns that into an overflow of love from our hearts to others. Where the Spirit of God is, there will be love. There will be faith and there will be love. Let me give you a couple of verses for this. In Romans chapter 14, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace in the Holy Spirit. So he says, so let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In Ephesians 4, he said, with all humility and gentleness we are to walk, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity and love are the gift of the Holy Spirit. We must be eager in the Spirit to maintain it. In Philippians 2, Paul said, If there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This past Wednesday, I met down with the guys. It's a nice break from the kids met down with the guys at, at Jim's house for our, our lesson fellowship time. And they're watching uh, right now this... Um, I, I like being with the kids, but I, anyway. Not quite as much as the ladies do. So we were watching this lesson being taught by Sinclair Ferguson on uh, the Holy Spirit. And it's a 12-part it's a series. And he brought up this, uh, this lyric, which Jim really latched onto. And I won't tell the whole story, but anyway... Uh, this lyric from an old hymn of the faith in which it says, Think what spirit dwells within thee. Are you full of doubt? Are you racked with fear? Do you doubt the extent and the depth of God's love for you personally in Jesus? Think what spirit dwells within thee. Do you, are you filled with self-love? Are you quick to take offense? Are you constantly thin-skinned? Are you looking for a fight? Maybe you don't run from conflict. Maybe you run to it. Maybe you don't do it outwardly, but you do it in your head and in your heart. Think what spirit dwells within me. Exhibit A, Exhibit B. Where the Spirit of God is, there will be faith in God's love for us. There will be the confession of God's Son. And there will be love for God's people. We know that we have the flesh. The flesh will be with us, in us. That sin, rebellion, nature against God until we are with Christ in glory. And so there will never be a perfect faith. And there will never be perfect love. But by the Spirit, there may be true faith and true love. And by the Spirit within, there will be true faith and true love. So I want to tell you again. I don't think that this side of heaven, you are ever going to hear anything better than this, okay? It's not just a future promise. 
This is your present assurance from God. Believer, this right here is your life right here, right now. The Lord revealed that this is the mystery that was veiled for generations and ages, but that has now been revealed to the saints. It is the riches of the glory of God. Christ in you. God abides in you. And you abide in God. I long for us to be a church that openly, boldly testifies to Christ. And I long for us to be a church that just overflows with affection for one another. Very quick to forgive. Patient, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Humility. Uh, being of one accord, of one mind. I long for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will you join with me in making that your prayer, not only for your personal life, but for our life together as a family? We don't have to be envious of Jesus, necessarily. We might look back from a distance and think, what I would not give to have that. But that's why God sent him. So we could have this. So that God would abide in you. So that you would abide in God. Let's praise him. Father, we thank you. We praise you. I pray, Father, that how good the good news is in Jesus would strike home in every heart. I pray, Father, that you would make us by your Spirit to get this. Because I don't think that there's anything better that we could possibly get. You are in us and we are in you. It's the promise of future glory, but it's also uh, it's it's the wealth of your glory for us now. So we thank you. And uh, I pray, Father, that we would as individuals and I pray that we would as a church be filled with your Holy Spirit and the presence and power of your Spirit would evidence itself in great faith, with a bold witness to the world, just like your disciples experienced and maintained in in the early days of the church, that kind of witness, even in the face of rejection and persecution. And I pray that the fullness of your Spirit would be experienced and evidence itself, Father, in our great love for one another, our affection and our unity. So by the fullness of your spirit, I pray that we would just be killing in our hearts every, every sin that keeps us from that love, that affection, that unity. And that we would be eager, Father, to maintain, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And just once more, I want to say thank you that you abide in me and I abide in you. In Christ, I thank you. Amen.